Absurd Conference. Man, I just want to thank the worship team one more time for just renewing in us the love of God and what that means for us today. Because when we're talking about things like diversity in the church, we got to start there. We got to start with how much God loves each and every one of us and how that desire needs to be expressed in our Christian lives. So thank you so much for taking us there this morning. I desperately needed that. Speaking of love, at the hotel that we're staying at, there was a young couple getting married, and so everybody was there with the wedding preparations and whatnot. And so we had the opportunity yesterday to be in the elevator with the groom. And so we got to share with him, oh, marriage is wonderful, we've been married 16 years, best decision we ever made, all that lovey-dovey stuff. But I realized I forgot to tell him the very most important thing. Never, ever, under any circumstances, build a piece of Ikea furniture with your spouse. Can I get a witness? Don't do it. You get tricked into thinking that, oh, that poing chair is going to be cute. In our it's not going to be cute because you're going to be divorced. Don't do it. <laughs> but actually, you know what? Ikea furniture is the one place where I have a leg up on my husband, who is brilliant at just about everything, because he can actually like take a tree and make a piece of furniture. I'm not, I'm not in that business. And so because he knows how to do that, he doesn't feel like he needs to follow the directions. I'm like, slot A goes in tab B. He's like, I'm just going to wing it. I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. And so when you're doing that with Ikea furniture, um, it all falls apart because you thought you knew better than the designer of the furniture. You know where I'm going with this. Y'all already following me. I think sometimes in the church, we have decided we know better than the designer. Mm -hmm. And that's especially true when it comes to the area of race and racial diversity. Um, you see, as Corey mentioned, we live in an era where our churches are shockingly segregated by race. In fact, 86% of our churches, 9 out of 10 of our churches, are racially segregated. Our churches are so segregated that white supremacists look to us as an example of why they should get to be segregated, y'all. Yes. And not only that, it's not just a matter of where we sit, because our churches recently have been 10 times more segregated than our neighborhoods and 20 times more segregated than our public schools. So we ourselves are setting this example of racial segregation. But the blueprint is different than that. And we see the blueprint in the prayer of Jesus in John 17. And the prayer of Jesus was, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity." then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is profound, y'all. This idea that Jesus says the one proof, the one evidence that it will be that I am who I say I am is them and the way that they're united. But instead, we're at a point where 86% of churches, again, are racially segregated. 
That's exactly the opposite of how Jesus wanted us to show that the kingdom of God has come. And as a sociologist, I understand even more why. You see, I've studied all sorts of institutions. I've studied schools, and I've studied neighborhoods, and I've studied workplaces, and I've studied the racial dynamics in those places, and I've studied the military. And there is not one institution of human origin where we don't have racial divides, where we don't have racial inequality. Nobody has gotten it right despite the talk about diversity out there in the public sphere. And so Jesus gave this charge to the church. We were the ones who could get it right, but we haven't done it yet. And so what I would say is the most important thing that we can do in this era is become that example of true unity. Because if we are able to do that, the world will see, uh, scholars at my university will see, they're doing something that's never been done before. How is that happening? And I believe we will then be able to testify that the Spirit of God did this in us when nothing else could help. And so today, I want to lay down some theology that will give us a basis for reclaiming this blueprint and realizing how important it is in the life of the church. In order to reclaim this New Testament blueprint, I believe we need to do three things. First, we need to get clear on the theology of inclusion and this idea that uh, segregated churches is nowhere in the New Testament. In fact, that there is throughout the New Testament an imperative for us to come together and for us to be very serious about that imperative. The second thing I believe is to know the purpose of the church because when we get confused about what the purpose of the church is, we want to push back against things that make us uncomfortable. And so we have to know what we're here to do so that we can move forward in it. And the third thing is to move from simple inclusion to equity. See, we haven't even managed to bring us all in the room together. But in places where we're coming into the room together, more often than not, we still see a hierarchy. We still see a division where some are treated better than others. And that, in and of itself, does not get at what Jesus was asking when he prayed that we would be one. And so we have to move from just getting us all in the room together to being a place where everyone is treated equitably. As we begin to talk about inclusion and understanding this theology of inclusion, um, I'm going to talk about what Jesus envisioned, what Luke described, and what Paul prescribed. Those are uh, three phases that my friend Mark DeMoz likes to use a lot. And it begins with the vision of Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I was taught about the Gospels, I think I was often taught that Jesus didn't really engage with the Gentiles. He was sent to the lost people of Israel, and that was the limit of his engagement. Um, but that view of Scripture, it turns out not to be true, especially as we look at the Gospel of Luke and the places where Jesus did in, engage, pre-shadowing the idea that he was creating one church and not two. And I want to turn us for a moment to... Uh, the book of John, actually, John chapter 12, where Jesus is coming into contact with some Greeks who have come up to worship. And John chapter 12, starting in verse 20, says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And then going down to verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. So let's get into the mindset of these Greeks for a moment. These were God-fearers, but they were not Jewish. And so they would come to the temple during occasions. They would come to, to worship, but they were still in some ways outside of the center, outside of the mainstream. And so the very act of going to worship God would have increased their feelings of, of exclusion and marginalization. Does anybody sometimes feel that way when they walk into their church? That the act of going to worship increases your marginalization? That's where these folks would have been. But they'd heard about this man named Jesus. And they were wondering, will things be different from here on out? Maybe from now on, instead of being on the outside looking in, we can be on the inside too. And they said, we would like to see Jesus. Now, Jesus kind of gives a strange response. He doesn't go see them. He doesn't even talk about them. He just says, if a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can produce many more seeds. And that was the message. This idea that after my death, there won't just be one seed. There will be seeds from every nation, that we will be together, that this is going to produce the thing that the Greeks are looking for. Their hopes are going to be fulfilled in me. And ending with this idea that when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That there are no exclusions. That there's no room for any of that. There's no room for that in our churches. Now some might say, well, that doesn't really mean that we have to be together in an actual church building. I mean, that means the big C, the body of Christ is diverse, so that's enough, isn't it? Well, let me tell you. When I was in high school, uh, some folks at my school started a Christian club. And I had been to church, you know, from time to time, and I was just like, well, that sounds cool. I'll go check that out. And so my friends and I, we came to the first meeting of the Christian club, and we got there, and it was like being part of this weird cult. They all, like, knew the song, Our God is an Awesome God, and they burst into song with all of this excitement. And then they started talking about veggie tales, like these these. Jesus-y vegetables, um, we were super confused about that. And so I left that Christian club that day, and it was six years from that point that I made a declaration for Christ. And what I wouldn't give to have any one of those six years back. There were people in that room who knew Jesus that day. There were people in that room who could have shared Jesus with me, but they were more interested in sharing their culture with me than their Jesus. And there wasn't another chance for another number of years. So I don't know about your church, but we're at a point in Cincinnati where 60% of people would as soon think about going in a church as a, a Hindu temple. And so if people walk through the doors of our churches, that is years of concentrated prayer to get them to walk in that door. So can we afford to say, oh, well, there is a church for people like you. It's up the street. Every church needs to be for everybody. The next place where we see this idea of inclusion is the Great Commission. 
when Jesus commissioned us, uh, I think what he said was, go and make disciples of people just like you. That was it, right? Did I, did I get that wrong? Yeah. Oh. No. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Again, our call is not to people who are just like us. Because if we decide that we're only going to reach people who are just like us, people who we relate to, if our churches are designed only around people who are like our target demographic, then we have to decide for ourselves, who are we willing to pass by with the gospel? Who are you willing to pass by with the gospel? Because you don't relate to them. Imagine if, if Philip, for example, in the book of Acts, he, he runs into an Ethiopian eunuch in a, in a carriage. Now, this man is from a different nation. He is uh, in a different uh, social position. He's a higher socioeconomic status. What if Philip, walking by, had said, you know, I just don't think we'll relate to each other. I'll wait for somebody else to share the gospel with him. Ethiopia is one of the first national churches that we have. Because Philip wasn't saying, I'm not going to talk to somebody who's not like me, but I'm going to reach anybody. If you're breathing, here's some gospel for you. The Great Commission tells us that we are to be united as a church. And then we look at the picture of the church in the book of Acts. Now, I am a, a Pentecostal, and so our favorite chapter of the Bible is Acts chapter 2. Yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That mighty Russian wind that gets me going every time. (laughs) But I have to tell you, even as a Pentecostal, the church was not a biblical church until we get to about Acts chapter 13. And the reason why is because the church in Jerusalem hadn't yet decided to reach beyond Jerusalem. In fact, God had to bring persecution among the church in order to get them to scatter. But by the time we get to the church at Antioch, we're starting to see what we want to see. And if we look at Acts chapter 13, it says, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menahan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. You see, in this church, you had a sub-Saharan African, you had a North African, you had a rich kid, you had a couple of Jewish scholars. This was the church of all people, and they cared about all people, and that's why they were a mission-sending church. They weren't interested in being insular. They were interested in getting out there with the gospel. In Antioch, we read, this is the first place they were called Christians. This is the first place they were called little Christs. And the reason is simple. This group of people shouldn't be together for any other reason. There was nothing else you could call them. You had to call them something new. These are people who are joined together for imitating Christ and living into the spirit of Christ. That's why they got to be called Christians. Again, Jesus' prayer coming true. They'll know me because of your unity. And that's what the church in Antioch shows us. And then we continue forward to, to the churches of the epistles. Um, and there was a, a great job done last night of sharing um, the one new humanity of the book of Ephesians. But it continues all throughout the book of Ephesians, which we know is a message and an instruction guide to the local church. To the extent that we see the unity and the one new humanity coming through the book of Ephesians, we know that it is to a local church, a building, a group of people gathered in a location. 
Ephesians 3.10 tells us something else, that the manifold wisdom of God is revealed through us together. Now that word manifold, my favorite translation of it is polka dotted. That by looking at all of the different uh, backgrounds and, and cultures and experiences that we bring together, that's where the wisdom of God is shown. And so if we show an incomplete picture of, of who God is, how can we expect people to be excited about it? It requires us being together to show who God really is. And then the last one I want to go to in terms of inclusion is the, the scripture in Galatians 3, 26 through 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One church. It is very interesting to me that the symbol of belonging to Jewishness was what? Scholars? Circumcision. Circumcision was something that was only done to the male part of the community. But for Christ followers, what is our new initiation into the body? Baptism. Baptism is something that um, comes for men and women, for children. God is making a very clear statement here that there was not one church created there was not two churches created, but one. And this idea that uh, Jewish males would pray every day, thank God that I am not a Gentile or a slave or a woman. Jesus is negating that prayer altogether through the words of Paul and saying, we're not gonna pray that anymore because we are one church. And our unity is again what illustrates who God is. So we are all clothed together. We are all baptized together in one faith. And nobody can claim superiority over anybody else. Our unity is what is going to paint the picture of Jesus. And so I stop there, but there's plenty more that I could go on. I could talk about the end of the story in the book of Revelation where every tribe and tongue and nation is gathered around the throne of God praising. If we have that in heaven, why wouldn't we want that now? I don't want to wait. Any promise of God that I can have today, I want to have it today. I don't want to wait till I die to get it. And so if we know that's the end of the story, we want that part of the story here and now. Inclusion and being together and being unified and not segregated by race is a critical part of the New Testament. And once you start looking for it, you'll see it everywhere. The second thing that I want to say is, and what often gets in the way is this idea of, well, that's going to make me uncomfortable. And I go to church to be comfortable. I've had a hard week. I want to see my friends. I want to put on my fuzzy pajamas. I want to get a little Jesus juice. And then I want you to send me back out to go to work again. That's what I want out of my church. Well, I mean, that's all very well and good. I'm glad that's what you want. Um, but that's not why church exists. Sorry. Comfort is not the reason why the church exists. There are many purposes of the church, but comfort is not one of them. And one focus that I want, one purpose that I want to focus on for a moment is the church as a mirror. So we talked earlier about the church at Antioch and how they were called Christians, how they were called little Christs. Christ reflects the glory and the image of God. Christ was the image of God 
put into human flesh so that we could see it and understand it. And now us as little Christs, we have that task. We reflect the glory and the image of God. And if we are segregated, what we are saying to, to a, a, a cynical society is that God is a segregated God. That God cares about white people different from black people, different from Latino people, different from Asian people. God cares about Americans different from people who are south of our border. God cares about people differentially, and that's the kind of God we serve. I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of God I serve. The God I serve is united. The kind of God I serve brings us all together. The kind of God I serve can get past our desire for creature comforts and bring us together in the church even when we make each other uncomfortable. And the last thing I will say is that even when we get past those things, even when we've decided our theology says that we can't have racially segregated churches anymore, and even when we get to the point where our theology says I understand the purpose of the church and I'm willing to be uncomfortable in order to further the mission of God. There's one last thing that we have to do. And that is not to bring the, the racialized structure that exists out there in here. As I've studied multiracial churches, multi-ethnic churches, diverse churches, that's what I see by and large. I see churches that bring everybody together but then expect them to adhere to white culture. I, bring, I see churches that bring everybody together, but the people of color in the audience are just there for show. They're there to be a face. But you speak up about something that you care about, and all of a sudden, you're causing problems. I see churches that exist for the comfort of white folks and the, to learn from the people of color in their myths. That doesn't paint a picture to anybody, because that's just like what the world does when they come together. Our desire is to be churches that live into true unity and equity. And equity is not treating everybody the same. Equity is making sure everyone has what they need to be successful. The last story I'll talk about is, is from Acts uh, chapter 6, which you may know this story. And this idea that the, the Hebraic Jews and the Grecian Jews had come together at this point. And the Grecian Jews complained that their widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. There was a systemic injustice that was happening as a result of their ethnicity. And so when that happened, the Hebraic Jews didn't say to them, oh, you're being too sensitive. They didn't say to them, if you would stop making this an issue, it wouldn't be an issue. They didn't say to them, oh, you're just listening to the media, and that's why you think there's a problem here. They believed them. They said, you said there's a problem here, and I believe you. And not only do I believe you, but I am going to lay down my power and my privilege and the things that I have so that you can have. This distribution of food, we're not going to even do it anymore. Y'all pick seven of y'all, and y'all are going to do it from now on. We're going to fix the problem by letting you be in charge of it. And some may say, well, they didn't, they didn't lay down much. It was just, you know, food distribution, no big deal. But... The food distribution is how the church was known. Throughout the book of Acts, it talks about the fact that they were all together and nobody had lack. And in fact, if you look at the early history of the church, the Romans said of the church, not only did they take care of their own widows, but they took care of our widows as well. 
the Hebraic Jews decided to give up a hallmark of what was their church so that there could be equity among them. Where are our examples of laying down power and privilege so that everyone can feel included in the church? That's the kind of love and unity. That's the kind of oneness that Jesus was talking about. And if we're not there yet, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of mosaic will we create as we come together? What kind of picture of God are we creating as the church as we come together? You see, there are, most of our churches are very monochromatic. There's maybe a few tiny differences among us, but, but not, not many. And so we're painting a church of, of a, 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 a God who is, is segregated and divided against God's self most of the time. Because if you've ever heard about disagreements between the white evangelicals and the black Protestants, that's what you hear about in the news media. You don't hear about the unity of the body of Christ. So you see a monochromatic picture that is divided against itself. If you look at the next sort of mosaic that we might create, we might see uh, different colors together, but one center of, of power, the, the second one right there, where you see it's prettier than the first picture because you have all of the different colors together, but all the colors are together but separate at the same time. You see these rings, you see this, this center of power that all looks the same and everything else revolving around it. It's better, but it's not the kind of picture that we want to create with diversity in the church either. The picture that we want to create with diversity in the church is this one. It's much more beautiful than either of the other two, and it's not a regular pattern. You see every uh, form and every shape and every color combined together, and there's no center of power, but each piece is equal and equally contributing to the beauty of the whole. I want to posit to you that this is the kind of mosaic that Jesus prayed for. This is the kind of church that we want to reflect. And I believe that it is possible through the Holy Spirit of God, as we lay down our comfort, as we lay down our privilege, as we lay down what we have in order to reflect who God is. Let's pray. God who is love, we thank you so much that you have given us a high calling You've given us the high calling to be one, to be unified, not to privilege one person over another, not to privilege one group over another, but to, to show to the world who you are by the power of your unity. God, I pray that our hearts, as we continue to hear the speakers today, would get hold of that, and that our churches and our lives would begin to reflect that beautiful mosaic that you want to create. We bless your name. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name. Amen.